0: We've had hearings around the country to uh, learn about what's actually going on and what we heard is uh, very, very frightening. Uh, We've heard of states which have uh, not just gotten rid of court reporters, but have put the entire civil justice system on hold for a year. Uh, In New Hampshire, they didn't try a single civil case for a year because they didn't have the resources to do that.
1: This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on The Legal Talk Network.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on The Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts.
3: And I'm Craig Williams from a very sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. I have a book out called Bob, uh, called, Bob called How to Get Sued.
2: Thanks Bob. for naming your book after me, Craig. I appreciate that.
3: No worries. I'll, just, I'll dedicate the next one to you.
2: Okay. Yeah, and I have a blog called Law Sites, another blog called uh, Media Law. All
3: right. And we're going to take this time to thank our sponsors, Clio, a web-based practice management software program for lawyers, GoCleo.com, and my firm manager at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN from LexisNexis.
2: Craig, uh, court closings, dismissals of cases, giant backlogs. According to a recent American Bar Association report, our court system is in crisis.
3: And today on Lawyer to Lawyer, Bob, we're going to take a look at the impact of huge budget cuts on our courts, the cases and the staff, and just how long this crisis is going to last. Joining us today is Laura Abel, an attorney working to ensure that low-income people and families with limited proficiency in English have access to the court. In October, the White House recognized her work by naming her a champion of change. For the past 12 years, she's been an attorney at the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law. In December, Laura will become a deputy director of the National Center for Access to Justice at Cardozo Law School. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Laura Abel.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to join you.
2: And we are uh, honored to welcome back to the show uh, attorneys Stephen and Zach uh, from the firm Boys, Schiller, and Flexner. Uh, Steve is the uh, immediate past president of the American Bar Association, where he was the first Hispanic American to assume the ABA presidency uh, and uh, had previously been the first Hispanic American and youngest president of the Florida Bar. Uh, He's also served as president of the National Conference of Bar Presidents and as the chair of the ABA's House of Delegates, uh, one of the nation's most influential positions on matters relating to the legal profession. Uh, welcome back to Lawyer Lawyer, Attorney Stephen Zach.
0: It's a pleasure.
3: Well, Laura, let's start with you. Um, you know, you're on the ground. What's What do you see happening in courts?
4: Well, this economic crisis has really been tough on the courts. And I've, I've got to say just, you know, from our starting place is that um, the courts have really uh, never had adequate funding, um, and, and then with the economy, court budgets are really being slashed. Um, we're seeing, uh, courts closing entirely or courts, um, being forced to cut their hours severely, which makes it really hard for working people to get to the courts. Um, we're seeing cases delayed, um, by months at a time. Um, we're seeing critical self-help programs eradicated so that uh, when you have people who don't have lawyers, they really don't have a way to understand what's going on in the court. Um, and at the same time, we're seeing a lot more people without lawyers. So these programs are, are really critical.
3: Yeah, I've had some experience with the same thing. In, in San Francisco, um, the courts have terminated all uh, court reporters. So now there are no court reporters except in criminal cases. You, if you're a civil attorney and you want to do a trial, you have to bring your own court reporter.
0: Lee Edmond, who is responsible for the courts in Los Angeles, said that if the original budget had gone through as proposed, she would have to have closed 180 courtrooms in Los Angeles, and that even under the present situation, she had to lay off a tremendous number of court personnel that has severely strained the Los Angeles court system.
2: Well, well, we're seeing this all over, and and the ABA uh, did this uh, has recently finished this report that that i mean we just read the opening of it it says the courts of our country are in crisis the failure of state and local legislatures to provide adequate funding is effectively at times quite literally closing the doors of our justice system so uh, Stephen, zach tell us tell us what you're seeing what's what's the scope of this problem
0: well actually that report isn't finished it's uh in the middle of uh, a final report uh Last year, we established a commission on the preservation of the justice system uh, that is chaired by David Boies and Ted Olson. Um, it has 27 members from both sides of the aisle, uh, all ethnicities and gender, uh, the most prominent lawyers in America, looking at this issue. And we have had hearings around the country to uh, learn about what's actually going on, and what we heard is uh, very, very frightening. Uh, We've heard of states which have uh, not just gotten rid of court reporters, but have put the entire civil justice system on hold for a year. Uh, In New Hampshire, they didn't try a single civil case for a year because they didn't have the resources to do that. In Georgia, the chief justice told us that she had to ask for um, uh, pencils and paper from one of your sponsors, LexisNexis. Uh, so that their clerks could actually uh, have uh, writing materials. Uh, we have other states where unless you bring your own paper, they won't file your pleadings. I mean, this doesn't sound possible in America. Um, you know, it sounds like a third world uh, country that is just uh, you know, establishing a rule of law. We. We are uh, are doing everything we can around the world at great cost, uh, both economic and human lives, to establish the rule of law. But the rule of law begins with one word, and that word is access. And what we're seeing is that the courts are uh, not providing the access that's promised by our Constitution.
2: Well, who's to blame for this? I mean, where, where do we, is there, a, can we point the finger anywhere and say uh, this, I mean, there's a lot of talk about legislatures in this report, but it seems that they're talking about the courts uh, might need to adapt efficiencies as well. Uh, well, where, where uh, do we look?
0: I, I, you've got to start with the premise that, you know, the executive branch, we, we have a strong belief in checks and balances, and we have three, what are supposed to be co-equal branches of government in order for our democracy to work and uh... the legislature has the power of the purse the executive has an army uh... the judiciary uh... has a few paper just a few pieces of paper now they're pretty good they're called the united states constitution and the united states constitution uh... says that the judiciary in order to you know protect our democracy has to be a co-equal branch of government you can't be a co-equal branch of government if you're funded at levels like in Florida, which are 0.7 of 1%, just slightly above a half a percent of the entire state budget goes to funding the entire justice system. And we're not talking about judges' salaries here. We're talking about um, that victim assistance. We're talking about uh, domestic matters. We're talking about uh, public defenders and prosecutors. Um, it, it just doesn't work. And the biggest problem is that uh, uh, many legislators refer to the courts not as a co-equal branch of government. I've actually heard them uh, describe the courts as an agency. It's not an agency, and it's not another bridge or library that in tough economic times can be cut, uh, because if you cut the court system, then you cut into our very uh, you know, core of our democratic institutions. Um so uh you have Legal Services Corporation uh being you know you, I think your your viewers know what Legal Services Corporation but it provides access to people who otherwise don't have the economic resources by the way that description has changed drastically with the uh economic crisis that we have gone through and uh so many people out of work uh people losing their homes Uh, all all that has contributed to more and more people uh, needing access. And unfortunately, Legal Services Corporation uh, today is so underfunded that one out of every two phone calls to the Legal Services Corporation goes unanswered. And uh, there are people who would like to see it cut further. Um, Again, this this, uh, destroys any ability uh, for... um, poor people who are mostly minorities and women, to have access to our courts.
3: Laura, do you have any ideas for solutions here?
4: (laughs) Well, one thing is that we need to to start recognizing the courts as um, a part of law enforcement. And I'm talking both about enforcing our criminal laws, but also about enforcing our civil laws. You know, you have the legislature that uh, passes really important laws, you know, barring domestic violence, requiring lenders to prove that they own a home, you know, or that they own a mortgage before they actually foreclose on a home. Um, But if you don't have courts that have the time to actually hear these cases in a meaningful way, then those laws don't get enforced. So I think a first step is that the legislature has to start realizing that it's actually part of their lawmaking function. It's not enough to just pass the laws, but you have to provide the resources for those laws to be enforced.
2: I, I have to wonder about the, uh, I guess the, the constituency for lobbying for the, these kinds of, for, well, for, for better funding for the courts. I mean, it, I know in Massachusetts where I am, the, 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 the justices themselves the the administrators of the courts the judges who run the courts have been historically kind of shy about lobbying and engaging in the legislative process and and the, the the citizenry i don't think is really much of a constituency and it kind of leaves the bar associations as as perhaps the one voice that's out there beating the bushes a little bit here it, it, do, you, do you have thoughts about that steve i mean well, that, how, that- how do, how do
0: yeah. you're Go You're ahead. accurate in your description, but um, I think that the the courts should not be asked to do that. Uh, the courts actually, I think are uh, probably the worst people to to get involved in this uh, situation. Um, the uh, The bar must react to this and and there is a constitutional right to a uh, adequately funded uh, court system. and uh, you asked about some solutions. Um, there are cases uh who have been brought which have been brought in which there'll be more cases i believe brought and i don't particularly like litigation as a solution, but at certain even though i 'm a litigator <laughs> uh, at some point in time there's a tipping point, and there are cases being brought that says that we are violating the United states constitution when we when the legislature does not adequately fund the courts i mean think about what would happen if uh Congress said, we're not going to fund the federal bench, for example. Um, And we have uh, some cases, a New York case recently uh, worked its way through the court system, that uh, the uh, solution in some states, and this is an interesting um, observation that the Uh, we see, again, as a possible solution, is that in some states, uh, the concept of having an independent body of um, citizens determine what is needed for the uh, judiciary. And unless the uh, legislature and the executive, the, the governor, affirmatively veto that determination that becomes the budget for the court system in that state. Um, you know, that again takes it some, you know, there's always politics, but it removes it further down the road from the political issues because a lot of times the courts and the legislature, um, you know, are in conflict with each other because the legislature may not like the fact that the courts declare something they do as unconstitutional. Um, there's also we're getting ready for a whole new round of reapportionment which courts are going to be involved in uh which are you know very important issues to to uh, legislators uh, what their district lines look like um so all these things are coming together at a time where the courts are uh, very strained because of uh again the the foreclosure crisis and the economic issues that face our country and with uh, and i think this has been mentioned We've had also an explosion of pro, what's called pro se litigation, which is people can't afford lawyers, so they represent themselves. And that is much, much more uh, time-consuming than people who are trained to be uh, uh, advocates in court. Um, all these things coming together make access more and more problematic.
3: Laura, do you how do you find the, the funding of uh, sources that provide services to your clients. Do you have problems with uh, the types of services that the government's providing to your, for your clients?
4: Um, well, let me, let me say a bit. I, I, I think Steve talked about the legal services corporation, which has just taken a huge hit, um, in its budget from Congress, um, at a time when it already, um, didn't have the resources to serve, you know, half the people who asked for help. Um, we're also seeing public defenders um who, you know, are necessary to make our criminal courts run, their budgets are also being slashed. Um so, you know, it's not just the court budgets, it's also the budgets of the lawyers who are essential to keep the courts running. Um and and um I want to recommend um and, and really commend a practice that Jonathan Littman, the chief judge here in New York, has been doing Um, where he's been viewing uh, civil legal aid funding as a part of the court's budget and has been presenting um, civil legal aid funding to the legislature along with the court budget and saying um, when you fund the courts, you also have to fund civil legal aid because we need the lawyers there to make our cases work, to be able to decide cases fairly. So, um, you know, not, not to make this, sounds so enormous that it can't be solved but we need to see the courts as part of a system and all, all parts of that system have to be functioning in order for the courts to work.
0: In Florida there's actually a lawsuit uh, pending be- before the Florida Supreme Court of which the uh, ABA has appeared as an amicus uh, where the Dade County which is Miami public defender refused to take on more cases because uh, he said that ethically uh, he doesn't have the resources to provide adequate defenses. Um Consistent with uh, you know Judge Lippman's views in New York, and he's been a great advocate for proper funding of the uh, judicial system.
2: Well, you know when you talk about the uh, the, the the courts, uh, I guess as a system, I, 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 it seems that one of the, one of the points that this ABA report makes, uh, and I think I think the Brennan Center has made this point as well, Laura, that that there are economic consequences uh to an underfunded court system that, that that the court is 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 a vital part of the of the broader economy uh and and that if the court system isn't functioning there are costs to that beyond uh, beyond the the immediate justice costs is that right or
4: yeah absolutely i mean when you you know when you think about it if you're a business and you're going to do um, look at a, a deal in another country one of the first things you look at is what is that legal system like if i enter into a contract will the courts enforce it um, you know if my business is targeted by organized crime um are the prosecutors and police going to protect us and if the legal system isn't there uh businesses will shy away from doing business there well it's the same in the US if you have a court system that uh, businesses can't turn to to enforce contracts, um, that working people can't turn to to get their wages paid um, when they're wrongly withheld, then you have huge economic consequences in that state.
0: We actually had uh, two things presented that historically has not been part of any uh, review of the court system. And one is that we had an economist look at the effects of the court system closing down. And two, we had Fortune 50 CEOs come and testify and both said that uh, there are there's actually hundreds of millions of dollars tied up in the court system between major corporations who cannot put uh that money on their balance sheet and create new jobs and new technology because they don't know who and they, you know at the end of the day who has the right to say it's their money. Uh so there's a severe severe impact on uh on business. Uh a lot of people think that that uh you know, people who use the court system are just troublemakers. And this goes back to your question about constituency and uh, that they really are uh, minorities. Um, the thing that it's important to recognize is that we're all minorities at some point in time and we need the protection of the courts. As a matter of fact, the best statement I think ever made about this subject, uh, at least recently, was made by uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. And she said, in every... Uh, system of uh, every society, there has to be a safe place. And in a democracy, that safe place is the courts. And we've got to make sure that that safe place continues to exist.
3: Has there been any talk of any type of constitutional amendment to solve this problem? I
0: mean,
3: obviously, the legal branch is a co-equal branch, but it can't be co-equal if there's not equal funding.
0: Well, actually, we don't think that there really... We think that the Constitution today without any amendment whatsoever, provides a constitutional right that may in fact be violated by the failure to adequately fund the courts.
3: So is that something that some someone can present to the court system and then get an order to get the legislature to fund it?
0: it most certainly is, and that's been, that has been brought in some states already. I think uh, New York, um, Lord, correct me, but uh, I think Judge Lipman uh, was part of that lawsuit that was brought in New York. Um, talking about the need to adequately fund the judiciary. Um, There was a suit brought in Mississippi, and uh, there are quite a few other uh, places around the country that lawyers and non-lawyers are looking at bringing that kind of lawsuit. Again, it would be better if we can work these things out without lawsuits, but uh, in the end, that may be the only uh, solution.
3: Any solution or any kind of indication that there's going to be one lawsuit filed on a federal level to get federal funding for the federal courts?
0: Uh, I think that's uh, all in play, but I think the problem on the federal side, probably of even uh, in some ways greater concern to the federal bench, is the failure to get judges confirmed. We have 93 vacancies. Um, About 15% of our federal bench is vacant, and we have uh, qualified individuals who are just waiting to be confirmed.
2: Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, why don't you st- we're going to continue this discussion in just a few moments, but uh, stay with us, and we'll be we'll be right back.
5: Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the role of security in cloud computing. Jack, what about security? Are there any ethical or security-related concerns that need to be addressed with cloud computing?
0: We're starting to see the first ethics opinions come out on cloud computing and the early proposed ethics opinions like that from the North Carolina State Bar indicate that there are no ethical issues relating to the use of cloud computing in a law firm, but that as with the use of any third party provider, an appropriate amount of due diligence needs to be undertaken to verify that the provider you're using has implemented an adequate level of security and privacy precautions and is essentially taking due care with your confidential client data.
5: We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you.
0: And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O ocom
2: It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why
1: not?
5: I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center.
1: Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them?
5: It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegaledCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE.
1: That's perfect. The office
2: can wait. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis firm manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit
1: slash LTN. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too.
3: Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're joined by attorney Laura Abel from the Brennan Center for Justice at NYU School of Law, and attorney Stephen Zack from the firm of Boyes, Schiller, and Flexner LLP, and former president of the American Bar Association. Laura, we cut you off right before we took our commercial break.
4: Yeah, I wanted to point out also that um, in addition to lawsuits and, um, you know, other kinds of legal mechanisms, there's a lot that can be done around public education in this area. I mean, the, the the courts need the public support, and I understand that no one ever wants to think that they're going to have to go to court um But, in fact, we have a kind of teachable moment now when we have so many Americans who are forced into the courts because of foreclosures um, or other fallout from the economic crisis um, Those are people who, if they have a good um, experience in the court, then can become uh supporters if they have a bad experience um, you know then we may have lost them forever um I want to mention one tool that um, I am about to start working on, which is something called the Justice Index, um, where we're going to look at the courts state by state and make information available to the people in those states about how their courts are functioning, how many people have to appear without lawyers in the courts, how quickly do their cases get, get heard, are there... Uh, ways for people without lawyers to to present their cases to the courts, um, those sorts of issues. And I, and I think that making information like that available helps people to get more invested in their court system and to be able to judge when the courts are asking for money uh, to see what that money is going to be used for.
0: You know, Laura makes a really good point, but the problem we have is that the most recent poll uh, showed that 75% of the graduating High school students thought the three branches of government were Democrat, Republican, and Independent. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's a really scary, uh, scary thought. Uh, Newsweek a number of months ago ran a, a story about how 75% of all Americans didn't know that the first amendment protected religious freedom for example. And what happened is that when we as a nation started concentrating on civics uh, and on, rather on science and on math in the high schools, we stopped teaching civics because we stopped testing civics. So you have many people today many uh, high school students graduate from their high schools with not a day's work in civics or understanding of our Constitution. Sandra Day O'Connor has been working on this issue for quite some time. There's a website called iCivics. Anybody listening should, uh, and this is geared towards uh, younger children, uh, pre-high school, and it's a wonderful um, uh, website. The ABA has a commission on civics where we are Conducting civics academies around the country, where lawyers are going into high schools uh, pro bono and teaching civics uh, on a day-to-day basis.
2: Well, I, I, I so hear I hear you what you're saying about that, water. but I I, I also I, I look at at at. Congress and legislatures around the country where uh, I, would ho- I would hope that these would be the people who would be uh, some most well-versed in, in civics. And, and I'm seeing uh, you know, members of the United States Congress signing this no new tax pledge, the inability of the super committee to come to any kind of a, a compromise or even budge. Uh, I mean, if our legislators are unwilling to talk uh, in real terms about the fiscal problems we're, we're facing all across the board in this country, how, how are the courts ever going to get out of this crisis?
0: Well, you know, they they read the United States Constitution on the floor of the uh of the House and Senate. Um I think that um you know, understanding what those words mean is critical to our democracy. Uh I take this all very personal because as you mentioned um I came from Cuba in 1961. My mother's Cuban, my father's American, and I was uh, 14 when I came to this country. But I remember in Cuba that the first attack attack on our democracy – and we didn't really appreciate it, um, well certainly I didn't as a, as a, as a youngster – was the attack on the judiciary. And the underfunding of the judiciary is the beginning of a, of a major concern we have to protect our democracy. So the loss of liberty, in my lifetime at least, is not a theoretical exercise.
3: You know, we're currently in a in a very severe economic crisis. Uh, one good indicator is that r- recent graduating class at one of the Cal State schools here or, uh, in uh, San Bernardino, 5% of the graduating class were able to get jobs. So if there's no jobs or limited jobs and we're running through foreclosures like it's going out of style, the economy's in its shambles, how can we really realistically expect government to fund the judiciary laura what do you think
4: well you know government will fund the things that the people support they fund law enforcement um and i think that they can fund the courts as you know as part of our law enforcement apparatus uh one one exciting thing that has happened um with the court budget crisis, and I'm not saying the court budget should be cut because, um, it, it's really been a tragedy where, where that has happened. But, um, you know, there, there has been a reexamination of our entire, uh, justice system and in particular looking at, um, the way that crimes are treated. Are we charging too many people with minor crimes and, um, using up valuable tax dollars that way? Are we keeping people in prison? You know, you know, in California, we keep in people in prison for too long um, when pe- these people could safely reenter society and become productive members instead of using up tax dollars in prison. So, um, you know, th- there are some some promising reforms that are coming out of all of this.
2: We are we are just about at the end, uh, end of our time for the show uh, and before we close we would like to give each of you an opportunity to to share your your final thoughts and also let our listeners know how they can follow up with you uh and get more information from you if they'd like to do that. Uh so uh, uh Laura let's uh, let, let's start with you.
4: Sure. Well, I I really want to end by um thanking Steve for you know really um elevating this fight um elevating the public's awareness of it and the legislature's awareness of it during his time at the American Bar Association. Um, the work that his task force on the preservation of the legal system is doing is uh, really exciting and really promising, so thank you. Um, if listeners are interested in uh, finding out more about me and um, the work that I do um I would urge them to visit the website of the National Center for Access to Justice at Cardozo Law School. Our website is ncforaj.org, that's nc for access to org. Thanks.
2: Thank you very much. Steve?
0: Well, I am going to have the pleasure of working with Laura uh, going forward. We both have a a passion in this area, and uh, I am very excited about the opportunity to work with you, Laura uh i i um, am always reminded of what the basis of our liberty is when i walk through the uh, front of the united states supreme court and i look up and there's uh, uh just four uh, words equal justice under law that's what it reads um as the and, and and i and i view that as a as a promise that our country makes to all its citizens and it is a promise that we've got to keep, and we can only keep that if we have a fully functioning um, court system that's providing access to uh, all citizens. And as far as getting uh, in contact with me, uh, you can use the same um, email address And because, as I said, Laura and I are going to be working together in the future on the same issue.
2: Very, very good. Uh, and, uh, of course, you're at uh, – also uh, information about you at the uh, – Boys' uh, you, you can website, reach me B- at the Boys' F- website,
0: <laughs> and at the ABA website.
2: Okay, thanks a lot. Well, thanks, thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, really fascinating discussion, and uh, we will uh, stay tuned uh, to see what uh, to follow your work uh, as you continue to pursue this issue. Thank you.
3: Well, Bob, uh, we have a little bit of time left for your final thoughts. What, what do you think about this mess?
2: Uh, well, it is a mess. You know, I'm in in Massachusetts, where I am. They've uh, they're they're looking at cutting, uh, closing courthouses, including a, one of the the courthouse uh, that the local district court that serves. Uh, the community that I'm in, uh, they're already cut back on hours. They're cutting back on uh, staff. Uh, you know, the, the the other issue, part of this that we haven't even talked about uh, in this show uh, that I'm very much involved in here in Massachusetts is is the situation with IOTA funding uh, because of the the mortgage crisis. Uh, real estate work has been down. The uh, that means IOTA funds are down. IOLTA funds are used to to fund uh, access to justice and civil legal services and alternative dispute resolution programs in the courts in uh, all of those programs are getting cut uh, so this crisis uh, just really knows no bounds it seems like and it's just getting worse and worse and I'm not seeing I'm not seeing, uh, I'm not seeing a, a, a fix on the horizon but uh, perhaps others are, are more optimistic than I am
3: I, I think Stephen I think we all need to take Stephen Zach's comment to heart and that's his comment that as a young boy in Cuba he did not understand the significance of not funding the judiciary and what it does in terms of the kind of government that you're going to have. With current Occupy United States, I guess, um, and the problems that the legislature has, if we don't have a court system, we're going to fall into disarray. And it's imperative, I think, that the legislature get their act together and do this. Otherwise, we're going to find you know the federal judiciary suing the United States Congress for funding and i'm sure that the courts are going to grant that motion
2: right i mean unfortunately you know i mean we we're we're uh, preaching to the choir here i guess i mean they, you know the lawyers lawyers are a natural constitu- constituency of course and and people who work in the courts regularly uh, and, uh, but, you know, a lot of times it seems to be one of those things where, uh, un- until you have the problem or until you encounter the court system, you don't really think about it, uh, you know, for the average citizen and, uh, it's hard to get people excited about this. Uh, issue, I think, uh, you know, one of the one of the interesting issues here, in, again, in Massachusetts, talking about closing the courthouses. Uh, I was talking to somebody who represents uh, uh, um, victims of domestic violence, and, and they were talking about how if they close our courthouse. What's going to happen now when there are hearings, uh, you know, on, uh, for uh, restraining orders and domestic violence cases is that you may find the, the alleged abuser and the alleged abusee, you know, having to hop on, on the uh, public transit together to get to the courthouse in the, na- in the next town down the road. Uh, and it just create really uncomfortable and uh, untenable situations uh, all across the board.
3: It is. Well, we need to wrap it up for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. And we want to thank Stephen and Laura for being with us today, as well as our guests for listening. And for our guests, remember now you can get CLE credit through West Legal Ed Center for listening to Select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows in iTunes. And we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll talk to you next week, Craig. See you then, Bob.
1: The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss.